able, please rise as we read God's Word together this morning from the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Hear the reading of God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Savior, we do give you thanks for this, your word, where you have told us in your word that you will hold it, that you will keep it, that you will sustain it. And then nothing will fade from it. And so Lord, we ask you to uphold that promise now. Guide my words by the power of your Holy Spirit to these people gathered here today. Mold and shape lives that they be more like Jesus for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Eight pounds, five ounces. Seven pounds, eight ounces. We like these kind of numbers, don't we? These are good numbers. They're right numbers. And we really, really like these exciting numbers. These are numbers full of anticipation, aren't they? They are numbers full of hopes and dreams and expectations. Sometimes even tears. Tears of joy. Tears of laughter. Tears of wonder and awe. These are numbers that have all of these things wrapped up inside of them. They are important numbers to us because they're directly related to babies. Every newborn that I know of has some type of birth announcement, right? The first thing that we communicate about our child is he or she, eight pounds, five ounces. We like to talk about how big they are, about how healthy they are, and how wonderful they are because we like this stuff called flesh. These things called babies. We love them and we cherish them. And now I want us to imagine how important they are to us in contrast to how important they are to the Lord who actually spoke these children into existence, created them in their mother's wombs. He loves them more than we do. So when we talk about eight pounds, five ounces, he's ecstatic. And he sings with joy, even as we read this morning. He exalts over them with loud singing. He is their creator. He is their God. So as much as we love our little babies, as much as we love to cuddle them and to hold them, to smell their hair, how much more does the Lord God, our creator, love to think about eight pounds, five ounces, or seven pounds, six ounces, whatever the weights are, For he is the one who makes them and made them. 
We often have this notion that salvation, faith, hope, and religion, and Christianity has a lot to do with our brains, our emotions, our spirit. That makes sense to us. It makes right sense, and that's, that's true. But we don't always think of hope and faith and salvation and religion and Christianity as flesh. That seems a little bit odd to us. We are more comfortable with the understanding that this is something I can just think about or, or perhaps feel. But have we ever thought about faith and hope and grace being something that we can actually hold, look at, see, touch, embrace? There's something special about Christmas, right? Every one of us loves Christmas. So much so that we even start shopping now, even before Thanksgiving. We all love Christmas. We like the songs. We like the emotions of it all. We like the feelings of it all. We like the gifts. Let's just be honest. We like to get presents. But in this time, there's a unique and wonderful intersection of thought Emotion, and eight pounds, five ounces of this stuff called flesh. Of something that we can grab onto, hold, hug, and embrace. This time of the Advent season, the intersection takes place in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where God took on flesh, nor that He would live, nor that He would die, nor that He would rise again. You see, it's in Advent that we uniquely focus on Jesus being born. Not in some spiritual, emotional level, but in a physical way. Jesus breathed, lived, cried, just like any other infant. The Gospel writers didn't send out a birth announcement like we do. They didn't send out a birth announcement with Jesus' height and weight and length. But rather, Jesus had a birth announcement unlike any other. For on his birth announcement, there was a host of angels that proclaimed, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. That's way better than any birth announcement I ever gave out. This is the birth announcement that Jesus was welcomed with. A birth announcement that God took on flesh. That God was born in the flesh to give hope to a very weary and tired world. And that He had a mother named Mary. And He had a father named Joseph. He had a family. We know the story of Mary really, really well, don't we? But it's not very often that we dive into Joseph's story. Joseph's story is not one of fanfare and a whole lot of celebration. It's often tucked back into the corners during this Advent season because we're, we're, we're just not given a lot of information about Joseph. So it's, it's difficult to really understand what he's actually going through. But here in Matthew, he chooses to give us a, a bit of the story of Joseph. And I, I must be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever really sat down all that often myself and even pondered Joseph's story. 
And this week it's captured me in such a way that I'm fascinated more and more and more about what Joseph must have been going through. What his life must have been like. I I guess I'm just trying to put myself into the shoes of Jesus, or excuse me, of Joseph, and just try to wonder what it must have been like. Because this story is chock full of raw emotion, power, feelings that he may have never had before or after. And it's captured me. And I hope it captures you this morning as well. In an attempt to have you captured by the story, I do want to dive into the emotion of it all. Because I think it's there where we do find just what's actually happening in this story. But it may be a bit of review, but we're going to go here for a little while anyway. It's important to understand the context to which this story is taking place. Mary and Joseph were betrothed, right? Now, betrothed means that they were going to get married. In our context, that's engagement. But in that context, yes, it's engagement, but it's all that much more. There's something more binding, something more powerful to a betrothing than there is to an engagement. You see, because in those days and age, it was usually, at a minimum, it was a year long. At the very minimum, it was a year. And during that course of the year, there were dowries paid. Often it wasn't this one big chunk of money that was given to uh, the girl's family by the boy's family, but rather there was a series of payments paid throughout the year. So here Joseph is, right? He's probably a young guy. I don't know how old he is. Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us. We know that Mary was a very young girl, and we can probably put two and two together, thinking that Joseph's, I don't know, anywhere 16, 17, 18, somewhere in, 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 those, in those years. His family has entered into a relationship with Mary's family. Most likely, they have paid some bit of the dowry, right? There are, the community is a relatively small one, so people are talking, they're celebrating, they're excited. Mary and Joseph are getting married, this is great! The community knows about it, understands the relationship, the betrothing, the betrothing, all of this. This is happening. This is what they're feeling and, and, and living in and with and through. And people are happy and they're celebrating. And then something enters into the story that's very odd and strange. It turns out that this young girl, she's pregnant. Now, if I'm Joseph, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, that's okay because the Holy Spirit conceived a child in her and it's all good. Chances are that's not what he was thinking. Chances are he was thinking, who's the rotten, low-good, dirty scoundrel, right? That's what I'm thinking. And he's embarrassed. He's upset with her. His family's embarrassed because they're in this arrangement with Mary's family. They've paid money. This is the emotion of what's going on. And Matthew says he's a fair guy. He's a nice guy. And he wants to do it quietly. You see, because when they're betrothed to be married, they, they, in the eyes of the court in that time, they actually are married. They're just having to join with one another in a marital way. But by the book of the law, if someone has an affair, then divorce is acceptable. 
So Joseph is thinking about all this stuff. And Matthew even says, he's, as he's thinking these things, as he's rolling through these things in his brain, he says, we'll just do this on the down low. Right, Mary? Is that okay with you? You go your way, I'll go mine. It's okay. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. We're just going to go our separate ways. But then something else unique happens. <laughs> Joseph has a dream. And in that dream, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, take Mary as your wife. For the baby that's inside of her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, you're going to call his name Jesus. You're going to call his name Emmanuel because that's what the prophet Isaiah said that you were to call him. So now Joseph is, first of all, he's going through all these emotions, right? He asks, of, how am I going to get out of this? And then the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, your son's going to be the savior of sinners. Your son's going to be the Messiah, the Christ. I wish the gospel writers gave us more about Joseph's emotions after the dream. But what we do know about Joseph is that he did what the angel of the Lord told him to do. He did take Mary as his wife. This then sets the stage for the story. It sets the stage for everything that happens going forward. If we look closely at the dream and the words that the angel of the Lord said to Joseph, there are a number of things that we can understand that stands out for us and for Joseph. So as we enter into the heart of this text, I want us to to see and use one phrase that actually pushes us into this context, pushes us into the story. That one phrase that changes not only Joseph's life, the one phrase that not only changes Mary's life, their family's lives, but our lives, is that baby that's literally in the womb of Mary is the Savior of sinners. The Lord took on flesh to save Mary from her sins, to save Joseph from his, to save Ryan from Ryan's, and yours from yours. This is hope in the flesh. That he took on flesh to save you from your sins. Now try to put yourself in Joseph's, Joseph's shoes once again. We're not told much detail about how Joseph, Joseph is feeling because it was a dream. What we do know is that Joseph woke from the dream and obeyed the words that were spoken to him. The stark reality of the Messiah, the Savior of sinners, changes everything. Joseph goes from being full of anxiety and hurt and embarrassment to understanding that the Savior of sinners, the Messiah, has come. And he's to raise him. Changes everything. Changes Joseph's entire life. Forever. Literally. The infant was to grow up in Joseph's home. Learning to walk. 
learning to talk, learning how to make a table and a chair to Savior of sinners in the flesh, in Joseph's home. Jesus, the Savior of sinners, has taken on flesh to restore hope to Mary, to Joseph, and to us. So this then is where the reality of our emotions, our thoughts, intersect with the reality of the physical nature of flesh. Where the Lord God takes on flesh and intersects at this very day. On this evening that Jesus was born. There are so many of us, there are some of us this morning that face similar circumstances as Joseph. Understanding that obviously this is a very unique and one-off situation. That's a very unique and odd experience. But the emotion and the humanity of his experience is also very real for us. The emotion and the rawness of embarrassment, of shame, fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, maybe even depression. This is the reality of our lives. Every bit, every bit as much as it was the reality for Joseph. And so this morning, I want us to see something. I want us to see just how the gospel enters into those things. Enters into our lives just as much as it powered its way into the lives of Mary and Joseph. Into a man who was fearful, hurt, And when the gospel came to him, it changed everything. It changed his entire life. So the question that I have for us this morning is how does Jesus, in the flesh, the Savior of sinners, bring us real and practical hope? How does Jesus, the Savior of sinners, in the flesh, bring us real and practical hope. Not something that's just out there, that it's the wonder of Christmas, which it is and it's true. But how does Jesus, in the flesh, the Savior of sinners, give me, us, practical hope here and now today that I can take with me, that I can hold on to, that can hold on to me tomorrow morning, this afternoon, when life grips me, grips us. Matthew gives us some of those practical answers. I really do believe that. So let's jump in a little bit into this text and into the words that we find here. In order to get there, there's a hotel room in London, England. A hotel room in the summer of 2012. It's a hotel room that houses two silver medals, four gold medals, and a six-foot-five, 200-pound man curled up on a bed who hasn't slept, eaten, or drank anything in four days. Michael Phelps, the most decorated swimmer in the world in all time. Lie in his bed. Hadn't eaten anything. Hadn't drank anything. Hadn't slept. 
in four days. And he just won four gold medals and two silver medals at the 2012 London Olympic Games. He said in in an interview that he would train and train and train. He would build himself up, build himself up, build himself up for an event. And that build-up was so incredibly amazing. It was unlike any other athletes on the face of the planet before or since and arguably ever will be again in a pool. But he would build himself up, build himself up, and the pressure of literally the world would come crashing down upon him after his, after his last event, and he would crash. Every time. After every event, after every Olympics, he would crash. I'm not Joseph. I'm not Michael Phelps. But I am like you. I am like them. We know these feelings of pressure, of anxiety, of fear, of worry, of doubt. So this morning, if there are people here that do experience this type of depression and anxiety and worry and fear, don't sojourn on this journey alone. Please, I beg you. Talk with someone. Talk with me. Talk with a friend. Talk with a a counselor. You're not alone. This is what Joseph saw. That he wasn't alone. If you're experiencing fear and doubt, worry, do not journey this path alone. Talk to someone. Talk to me. Talk to a friend. Talk to a counselor. Talk to your Lord. You see, this is what Matthew tells us. As Matthew was thinking about the event, or as Joseph was thinking about the events in his life, thinking about the best way to handle the situation, this is where I connect with Joseph really, really well. Lying awake at bed at night with his mind racing, 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 racing. How am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? What should I do with this girl? What should I do with my family, with, with her family, with the community? What to do, what to do, what to do, what to do? And then an angel appears to him. And the angel does for Joseph exactly what he needed at that particular time. He brings the good news of peace and of joy. You see, how do we have practical hope is that we understand the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That It's okay, Joseph. Because the Savior of sinners has come. It's okay, Joseph, because the Messiah has come. It's okay, Joseph, to take her as your wife because Jesus, the Savior of sinners, has come. It's okay, Ryan, because Jesus, the Savior of sinners, has come. It's okay, Redeemer Arlington, because Jesus, the Savior of sinners, has come. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. The anxiety can be swept away because Jesus, the Savior of sinners, has come. And he's taken on flesh. When we're worried, when we're fearful, fearful, our minds race, don't they? Friends, and it's here at this very moment, this point of the Christmas story, Jesus in the flesh, as the Savior of sinners, we recognize 
that peace is here and comfort of the Lord is with us. It's in the flesh. It's in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Comfort is now in the flesh. Born to Mary and Joseph. But you may be thinking, that still is not very practical. That's still kind of in my brain. I don't know that I can always feel peace. That's not something that I can always really hold on to very tightly. or it's not, It doesn't always hold on to me very tightly. So, so what more does Matthew tell us about practical hope from this text in Matthew 2? It still seems a bit distant, doesn't it? Almost not real. How can I know this peace? How can I, how can I know the comfort that the angel talks about in the person of Jesus Christ in my life? Scripture has an unbelievably amazing ability to answer our most fundamental questions, our fundamental needs. Scripture provides us with truth, meaning this, Jesus has come to save us from our sins. This is what we're told. That equals truth. Jesus comes to comfort us with his peace. This is what Matthew tells us. Scripture speaks directly into the questions that we ask too. How is that comfort and how is that peace possible? Scripture does not give us this information, but Joseph must be wondering the same thing. How? How is this possible? I still don't understand. The angel instructs Joseph to name the child a very special name. That name is Jesus. Just as the prophet Isaiah had said. Which means Emmanuel. Name this boy Emmanuel. How do we have practical peace and comfort? Because Jesus, the Savior of sinners, is born, and His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we have peace because of the presence of the Lord God Almighty in the flesh. Jesus' presence means everything to us. Without it, we have nothing. If He doesn't take on flesh, our faith is for naught. If he's not God and man, the Savior of sinners, it does not work, but he is, and he's with us. If hope is found in the peace and comfort of the Lord, the hope and the peace of the comfort of the Lord is found in the presence of the Lord. Comfort is only found in presence. I don't think anyone who is any good at helping someone would say, I'm going to be distant from you while you cry. Go away from me while you're hurting and in pain. No, we say quite the opposite, don't we? It's the presence, it's the embrace, it's the warmth of that hug that we desperately need. I was about 10 years old, and uh, I thought for sure that I could be home alone for any length of time. I was convinced. And uh, my mom had to take my sister to an event or some activity, I don't remember. Um, My dad was working late that night, and my mom said, it would be about an hour or so that you'll be home alone. And I'm thinking, okay, no problem. It's all good. And uh, it was in the wintertime, and so it got dark fairly early. It was probably, I don't, it wasn't even that late. It was probably 5.30, 6.30, 7 o'clock. But 
Last week or a couple weeks ago, I told you about a bay window in the house that I grew up that was covered in snow. Do you remember that story that I looked out and all I could see was snow? Well, I found myself looking out of the same bay window this particular night. I looked out of this bay window with tears in my eyes as I stared down the street and I was praying and hoping that the next set of headlights that I would see come down the street would turn into our driveway. The first one came and went. Another came and went. The tears got heavier. I got more scared because I'm sure it got darker and darker too. I was alone, scared, tired, wondering when my mom would come home, wondering if the next set of headlights would be my dad's, that he would actually come home before he said he would come home. One after another, there were many, I I don't remember how many cars went by. It probably was a million in my mind. None of them were my mom's. None of them were my dad's. I don't know how long I was there, but it probably wasn't very long. But I do remember finally a car turned in the driveway and the garage door opened. And then my dad was falling right behind. And I remember standing at the garage door with tears in my eyes, just waiting for one of my parents to come to the door. And sure enough, my mom came in and it was a big bear hug. And the presence of my mom was greater than anything that I ever can ever remember at 10 years old because I was terrified. I was frightened. I was alone. And it was her presence that made everything go away and wiped the tears from my eyes. Emmanuel. God with us. How do we know practical hope and comfort is because Jesus is with us. And then what he also says, I will never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to walk away from you. I'm always going to be with you today, tomorrow, and to the end of time. Hope is found in his peace and his presence. And with that kind of hope, now all of a sudden, our perspective completely changes, right? It did for Joseph. Joseph was quietly going to divorce Mary. You go your way, I'll go mine, we'll be all right, everything's going to be okay. But then the gospel breaks into his heart, into his life. The presence and the peace of Jesus, the Savior of sinners who took on flesh, now changes Joseph forever. And he takes Mary to be his wife. And they travel to Bethlehem. And Jesus is born and placed in a manger. Everything changes. Everything changes. The gospel changed Joseph's life. The gospel changed his course of life. The gospel changes us also. It gives us a new perspective. Joseph took Mary as his wife and raised Jesus. It changed Joseph from fear and doubt and divorce to having a perspective of obedience and care and love, responsibility. The message of hope and comfort then does that for us as well, doesn't it? Well, that's my prayer for us, that this gospel, that Jesus who took on flesh came to live and to die and to save you from your sins, that should change our world every day. It should focus our perspective on on how we live our lives on how we look at our neighbors, how we look at our co-workers, our friends, our, our, our enemies. It changes us from being gripped by fear and worry to obedience 
and hope. The gospel gives us this new perspective. I quote Francis Schaeffer's question often. If we have this peace, and we have this presence, and we have this new perspective, how do we then live? And it may be a little bit of a rhetorical question, but also not. We live as those who don't fear or worry or doubt. And when we do, we go back to the cross. And we go back to his peace, we go back to his presence, and we go back to the perspective that the gospel has changed our lives. This is the story of Joseph. We live in a perspective of joy and hope in the Advent season because we see this Jesus taking on flesh as the Savior of sinners. So my prayer for us during this Advent season is that we would see with a new perspective that the Lord God Almighty is with us. And He gives us peace. And He gives us comfort. And He gives us a new perspective to hope in Him forever and ever. Because He's promised to never leave, never forsake. This is something that grabs a hold of us and never lets go. Jesus in the flesh, the Savior of sinners who has been born. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we do give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you have done for us. That you do indeed give us peace and you give us yourself. That your presence is with us. And so as we come to this table now, Lord, may we see and touch and taste and feel your peace and your presence. May we be encouraged to remember that You haven't left us and you haven't forsaken us, that you've given us this bread and this cup to remind us of how deep and how wide you love us and care for us. And so watch over us, care for us, guide us. Be near to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.